when pastor asked me to preach this past week, he said that he wanted me to preach on one of my memory verses from my stack of cards. And so, of course, he said it's going to help me, it's going to help you, and it'll just be a blessing all the way around. And so I began to flip through, and one of the first ones, as soon as he really mentioned it to me about preaching, I just kind of thought of it right away, uh, was this passage in John chapter 16. But I flipped through all the rest of them, pulled out a few, and kind of, you know, prayed about it, thought about it, and I just couldn't get away from this one in John chapter 16 uh, right here. And as I began to study it, study this passage, uh, it's one of those things where you can't tell all there is about the work of the Holy Spirit in 20 or 30 minutes. It's just not possible. We can't even skim the surface. It was kind of like I began to study, study this passage, read commentaries, uh, see what other you know, people had thought about it, prayed, asked the Lord to show, and just the more and more I went to study it, it just, the road kind of forked off. And, you know, you go down one road, and then it forks off five other different ways, and then so on and so forth. And so, uh, isn't that true? That's exactly how uh, God's Word is. And I like, uh, there was a statement somebody said, and it said that uh, the Word of God, you may have heard this, the Word of God is, is like a pool of water. Uh, it's shallow enough that a child can come and get a drink from it without fear of drowning, but yet deep, deep enough that theologians can't reach the bottom. And it's very true. And so really tonight, it doesn't matter if you are a, a new believer, you just got saved this morning, or if you've been a believer for many, 50, 60, 70 years, God can speak to you tonight through his word. And that's just a wonderful thing every time. Um, Tonight, let's look at a couple ministries of the Holy Spirit that are found in John chapter 16, and I hope every single believer in here is thankful for the role of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're thankful for that. Sometimes I feel like we don't think about the Holy Spirit a lot, don't think about the work that he does, at least maybe that's just me in, uh, in my own life. Uh, someone, I was reading and someone said, of all the gifts that God gave mankind outside of the gift of God's only Son, the Holy Spirit was the greatest gift he has given his people. And, it seemed, and it's definitely 100% true. Um, although that is true, some people have misappropriated it a little bit. And especially, it seems like maybe in our area, not so much where I'm from, Little Rock and Little Rock, Arkansas and Tennessee, uh, maybe not so much, but it seems like in this area, uh, Pentecostalism has, uh, you know, kind of misappropriated the work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that a little bit later tonight. Um, but we're going to look at some biblical teaching on that. John chapter 16, verse number five, uh, verse number five through 15 is what we're going to look at. Um, if you found it there, we're going to go ahead and start reading. We're going to read all the verses, starting with verse number five. It says, but and this is Jesus here speaking, but now I go my way to him that sent me and none of you asketh me whither goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, which will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. 
he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to meet in your house again. We thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have to freely uh, in this country open the word of God um, and hear from you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come tonight, work in the hearts of people, clear everything else out of our minds. Uh, help us not to focus on anything else uh, than what we're doing right now in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is after Jesus and his disciples had had their last Passover. Uh, they had their last Passover together, and basically what Jesus was doing, he was giving them a heads up on what was going to come their way. Uh, he told them that he was going to be betrayed. He told them that he was going to die, which they couldn't really even understand that. He told them that he was going to be resurrected. He told them that he was going to go back to the Father. He was preparing them for all these things. Remember, they had been with the Lord Jesus for roughly three years. And you know what? He's, sit, he's standing here now telling them, hey, there's going to be some hard things come your way. Not only all that is going to happen, but persecution is going to come as well. In, but tonight, the thing I want to focus on about what Jesus told them was going to come was the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that they could actually even wrap their minds all around what Jesus was trying to tell them. But yet, he told them. Here it is in verse number seven. Um, he says again, he explains the, necessary, the uh, necessity, I'm sorry, of his departure that he must go away for the Holy Spirit uh, to come. And if they really would have understood that, they would have been excited about it and they would not have been sorrowful. The first work of the Holy Spirit, I want you to see that he tells them about what the Holy Spirit is going to do is in the life of the unbeliever. Verse number eight says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. One of the reasons it was necessary for Christ to leave and the Holy Spirit was to come was Jesus was in one place at one time with one group of people. The gospel, him dying on the cross, being resurrected, you know, that was, he was only able to minister to that one group of people, but the gospel needed to get all the way around the world. The Holy Spirit coming was going to literally reprove the world, as he said, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit, omnipresent, of course, moves throughout the entire world doing the work of the Father. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's convicting, and it is also a convicting, uh, convincing, I'm sorry, a ministry. Now, the Bible does not really indicate in any uh, time in the Old Testament that that was the role of the Holy Spirit in the past. This was a new thing. The Holy Spirit had done work in the past, but he did not go, and we do not really see the indwelling of the believer in the Old Testament. Now, we see at some parts where uh, even Pharaoh, I think, referenced to Joseph and said that surely God's Spirit is with is in this person. Um, but we see him, even in the life of Samson, we see that the Holy Spirit was with him and the Holy Spirit left him. Samson didn't even know. We see uh, in the life of Saul that God's Spirit was with him, but it also left him. And so it seems like the work of the Holy Spirit was a little bit different. Otherwise, Jesus really wouldn't have said this here. Of course, we knew that this is going to, those of you that know the Bible know that this is going to take place in Acts chapter 2. Um, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit uh, is going to come, going to manifest himself here, and uh, it's going, he's going to take part in every people group around the planet, which was also something that the Jews struggled with as well. They thought, obviously, their relationship with God is 
his people, we can tell in the New Testament that they didn't really like that the salvation door really seemed to be open to everybody. Now Gentiles, and not only Jews, but that was God's purpose in it. Um, and since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has came to fulfill this role of going and reproving the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And just as Jesus finished his work here in the flesh, the Holy Spirit is out doing his work. And you know what? It's not complete until his church is ready. Everybody that is saved that's going to be saved is going to be saved. That's the way to say it. And you know what? And he presents the body of believers to the Lord Jesus Christ. But right now he's at work doing all that. And it's exciting. So what exactly is the Holy Spirit doing in the life of believers everywhere? We've said it already, verse number eight. He's convicting and convincing them. The word reprove is the one that uh, uh, is here in our Bibles. Uh, it simply means to cause to see. It has the same idea as the word conviction, as the word of um, illumination, cause to see, opening their eyes. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what his mission is. He's going throughout all the world, opening people's eyes about what the truth actually is about these three topics. Um, so the first thing, what is the first thing here that he is causing them to see? Well, the first thing we see is he's causing them to see through sin that they have a need of redemption, that through sin they have a need of redemption. Jesus gives us more detail about each one of these things. We're going to start in verse number nine, continue on. It says, of sin, because they believe not on me. Because of our sin, we are in need for uh, redemption. It's been said many times, and I remember my dad telling me this uh, many times growing up. He says, before someone can get saved, they got to know they're lost. And you know what? If, you're, if you are going along your way and you do not think you're lost, maybe you're driving down the road, there's no need to turn in a different direction if you have no idea. That's why our tracks, most of them, some of them start with John 3.16, God so loved the world. But many of them start with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because you know what? If you don't know there's, you're lost, there's no way really that you could possibly be saved. You know, it doesn't take usually a whole lot of convincing to convince people that they're sinners. At least maybe not in our society. They know. People know that they're sinners. When talking with people out in the community, it's, it's kind of funny. They'll, they'll you know, bring up stories about what they did and um, you know, they may say something about, oh, this one time, you know, I got arrested. And then they'll ask me, have you ever been arrested? You know, for anything. It could be for like a DUI, you know, for uh, disorderly conduct. It could be for something like that. And I say, no, I've never been arrested. And they're like, look at me like I'm crazy. Like everybody has been arrested like once in their life. That's what they like kind of think, you know, that everybody has done, you know, it's just kind of surprising to them sometimes. Uh, but, you know, with most people, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I've done some bad stuff. And they could list, they could list you a whole bunch of stuff, a bunch of mistakes um, uh, that they made. And it's interesting. Uh, one Bible scholar, I'm not exactly uh, sure who it was, but he made the statement that it's interesting that every people group across the planet, whether it's a civilized people group or you go way out in the jungle somewhere, that every group of people feels like they need to make propitiation, or they need to make amends to some sort of higher power that's out there. Isn't that interesting? It's just kind of like in their heart that they have done something wrong and they must appease the gods or whatever it might be. Uh, through general, general revelation, sun, moon, stars, everything that we see, uh, we read about it in Romans 1, 19 through 25, 
Um, you can turn there if you like, Romans 1, 19 through 25. And it basically gives the, uh, it relays the, what happens when people have not actually had the gospel, but they have seen God throughout nature. I'm going to read starting verse number 19 through 25, and it says, Because that which uh, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invincible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. That's big. So that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave, uh, gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He's revealed truth to every person. He literally says, you are without excuse. doesn't matter if you've been given the gospel or not. Someone once said, it's like a college student. How many, many of you have been to college and you know that usually most people don't have their way paved for college. Normally, it's a struggle, a financial struggle mostly, and then on top of that, the schooling. But the financial really can drain you. And it's the idea of a college student with a $1,000 debt and somebody coming up out of the goodness of their heart reaches out and hands him a crisp $10 bill. Wow. That really going to do him a whole lot of good, right? And the college student gets upset, snatches the $10 bill out of the person's hand, throws it on the ground, spits on it, stomps on it. Do you know what? Is the $10 bill going to save him of his debt? No, but if he refuses it, it condemns him already. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. People throughout all the world know that they're sinners, but when they know and they realize somehow that they need to make justification to a God somewhere, they take it and they turn it into a lie and turn it into something else. We see that all over the place, but the Holy Spirit is out convicting people. The second thing we see um, in verse number 10, we see through the righteousness of Christ, it shows the possibility of redemption. Not only the need of uh, redemption, but also the possibility of redemption. It says here, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Jesus Christ is not here in the flesh anymore. We can't go to him and see his perfect righteous life anymore. We can't go up to him and see the nail prints in his hand and in his feet and the, pure, uh, the, um, the scar in his side. We can't see that anymore. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is out convincing the world that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. He did live a sinless life. And he first shows us that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and then he points us to the Savior, which is Jesus Christ. Remember, he says he's going to convict the world of righteousness. Convict, again, uh, means cause to see. And he's going around confirming that, that Jesus was um, the guy. The question about it is, is what are you going to do with Jesus? What is your opinion of Jesus? My favorite thing on door-to-door Many of you guys go to door, door to door, and if you've never done that with our church, I encourage you to go. It's not scary. You get a little nervous maybe at the beginning when you first uh, get out of the car and you start at your first house. It does get, I'm not, we're not trying to sugarcoat it here. It can be a little nervous. Uh, you can get a little nervous um, about it, but it's actually pretty, 
pretty easy, especially if you do use the survey that our church has. And it has about five questions um, that you can ask people. And really, it just gets them started talking. And one of the questions, my favorite one to ask is the second one. To you, the question is, to you, who is Jesus? And we get a lot of wild answers. A lot of wild answers. Sometimes we get some good ones. We get, oh, he's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my king. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. But you know, sometimes we get, oh, he was a good guy. He didn't exist. We get a lot of those. Those of you that have done door to door, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We get a lot of, oh, he was a prophet. He was a teacher. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is going around in convincing people in their hearts that Jesus Christ was really the Son of God and he died on the cross for your sins, my sins, the sins of the whole world. He shows us the sin, and then he, uh, he shows us the need for redemption, then he shows us the possibility, and the other thing he shows us is the reality of redemption. Um, verse number 11, it says, of judgment because the prince of this world is judging. God's timing, the judgment of Satan has already happened. Way back in Genesis 3.15, uh, he says, and I put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We already know what's going to happen to Satan. We already know. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is also saying that, you know what? Someday, you and I are going to have to give an account to a holy and just God. And as Pastor said just a couple weeks ago, you know what? You can try to do the method of my good outweighs the bad. But when you're meeting God at a holy standard, you know what? You can try that way, but it's going to fail you every time. The only way is to simply trust Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit confirms that in your heart that that is right. The Holy Spirit is at work telling us right now that we need redemption, that it's possible, and that that possibility can be made a reality at the judgment. Now before we move on and we see what happens in the life of the believer, I want us to look at this passage that was actually fulfilled right when the Holy Spirit showed up in a big and mighty way. Acts chapter 2, if you would turn there with me in your Bibles. We're going to look at the exact account here of what happened. I think most of us, if not all of us, know that the Holy Spirit, he showed up in a big way in the sound of a mighty rushing wind with a lot of people there. Peter, he began to preach to these men after the Holy Spirit showed up, and he began to tell them that they were sinners and that really what they had done with Christ was wrong and that it was really their fault that he had died on a tree. And you know what? These men, they had come together. These were highly religious men. They had come together for something uh, that's called the Feast of Weeks. It was, you know, a big celebration that the Jewish people have. And an impor important Jewish people would have been there. And they made this journey over to Jerusalem from all different areas. Of course, we know how the Holy Spirit gave um, them the gift of tongues. They were able to speak, and everybody in their own language heard them. You know that story. So they were all throughout uh, the area uh, of the known world at that time. And they came together and he started preaching that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And no doubt that these people, some of these men, I guarantee you, were probably at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Maybe they were even the ones that were pointing the finger at Jesus saying, crucify him, crucify him. 
that very well, well may have be. But now for the first time, maybe in some of their lives, the Holy Spirit now is convicting them of their sin, not just that they're sinners, but that what they did with, with Jesus Christ was wrong and he really was the Messiah and you hung him on a tree and he died. He was buried and he rose again the third day. It's a beautiful story. In the convicting of the, of the Holy Spirit, we see it here in Acts uh, 2.37. If you want to look at verse number 37. It says, And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart. That was the Holy Spirit right there. Peter responded and said in verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The reason about 3,000 people were saved and added to the church was not because Peter was a great orator. He was not. He was a fisherman. He was just a normal, ordinary. People may have even referred to him as a dumb fisherman. And he didn't somehow convince these highly educated Jewish men that what they had done was wrong. No, the Holy Spirit pricked, it, pricked them in their heart. It was the enabling power of the Spirit that made it all happen. A few years ago, there was uh, someone that kind of uh, came into... How am I saying this? There was someone that, an unsafe person that got connected with uh, my family and Heather's family. And someone in the family said, You know what? I think I'm going to share the gospel with him. It was like the first time they'd ever seen him. I think I'm going to share the gospel with him. And I was like, Oh, okay, okay. Got in the car, driving away. And you know what I said to Heather? I said, Man, why is that person going to share the gospel with them? Why can't we have somebody else do it? Like, you know, we've got a bunch of people that can do it, that are real polished up, that know. I'm like, this person, I, no offense, but they're really old. They're really old. You know, it's not really all there. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not making this up. That's exactly what I said. And I'm like, why can't we get somebody that's really just maybe one of our door-to-door -door people to, you know, make it happen? Basically that this guy wasn't going to get saved because it was a bad presentation. And you know what? Of course, Heather, she piped up. She didn't let that one slide. And she said, well, you know, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. And of course, oh, that hurt bad. <laughs> I mean, what else do you even say to that? What do you say to that? All our job is, is to literally just plant the seed and let the Holy Spirit make it grow. That's all it is when we go out and share the gospel. That's it. That's all of it. Are you planting any seeds? Are you giving anything for the Holy Spirit to go and to make grow? Door to door is a fabulous way. We have those questions. Even if we don't share the gospel with people, we go. And one of the questions is, um, do you have any spiritual belief? Yes or no? To you, who is Jesus? Another one is, do you think there's a heaven or a hell? Another one after that is, you know, do you think um, that if you died today, do you think you'd go to heaven or hell? And just simple questions like that. And you know what? Even if we don't get to share any more than that, you know, after we leave, the Holy Spirit gets to go in there and start working. It's an awesome thing. 
that you know what? The Holy Spirit's not going to let that slip. He's not going to let them go on. They're gonna, he's going to bring those things back up in their mind. Really, who is Jesus Christ? Really, what's going to happen to me when I die? Those, those thoughts keep coming back, and it's all the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on to say here in verse number 12, he kind of switches um, things here, and he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. He would have liked to tell them everything, but they were not ready yet. They were still spiritual babes. We see that uh, by what they did when he was crucified. But he does tell them a little bit. We're going to see now, in the, uh, starting in verse number 13, we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. And remember, this is after their last Passover together. He's soon going to be betrayed and crucified, and he, he's preparing them for the future. And the majority of what he told them, of course, they didn't understand. He says he's going to die. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. They didn't understand that. He said that he was going to be resurrected. He said in the end of John chapter 16, he said that uh, it's going to be like a mother in travail when she's giving birth. It's going to be a painful experience, but after it's all over, there's going to be joy and happiness, and the pain is going to be forgotten. He says that he's going to leave. I'm leaving. Sorry, guys, you're here. I'm leaving. And he says, persecution's coming. He says, hey, if they persecuted me, the servant's no better than his master. They're going to persecute you as well. But the awesome thing about this is that through all that, he says, hey, I am going, I'm promising, promising you something. I am going to send you the comforter. Verse 1 of John chapter 16. I'm sorry, let me turn there. Verse number 1, he says, because he knew how they would respond. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. The offended there is talking about, hey, I don't want you to be upset about it. Because here, this is what's going to happen. He goes down to, down to verse number 7, and it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him. Let's go over also to John chapter 14, where he talks about the comforter. It's a very encouraging verse. Uh, John 14, 16 through 18, and it says, and I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the, wor the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know of him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you with comfortless, I will come to you. He says the comfort is going to come. He said it's not going to be like in Old Testament times where he comes for a little while, shows you a little bit of truth, empowers your life, and then leaves. It's not going to be like that. It's when he's coming, he is going to come and to stay. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. We see the disciples are soon going to be scattered in all different areas, and we're going to see them go through some crazy, wild things. And we literally see them going from being a bunch of wimps at the crucifixion to being the most, maybe the most powerful Christians that have ever lived. How did that happen? That was because the Holy Spirit was going to come. How is it possible that they could endure such persecution, literally losing their lives? How is it possible to endure that? How is it possible for Paul and Silas to be in a jail and to start singing praises of God and be happy and excited? How is it possible, you know, for Paul uh, to be in a jail and write a book about joy? How is, it, how is it possible for uh, John to be exiled on the island of Patmos and be perfectly at peace there? How is that possible? Because of the comforter. 
And you know what the awesome thing about that is? Is that you and I have that exact same comfort today. Although we don't have Jesus Christ standing right beside us, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And you know what? The same comforter that, that Paul had, that Silas had, that John had, all the disciples had, is the same exact comforter that I have and that you have. I didn't get shorted. You did not get shorted. We didn't get part of it. We got the whole thing. But sometimes it feels like we don't have the whole thing or we don't act like we got the whole thing. We have the exact same power and the exact same comfort that they had. The Holy Spirit hasn't gotten weaker since the time that he came. He is, he is just exactly the same. And so if you ever feel like, hey, I'm alone, no, you have the comfort. If you lost everything right now, your finances, you go to, to your bank account and it's zero. If you, were to, if you were to somehow lose your family, maybe lose your wife, lose your husband, lose your kids, if they were to maybe turn their backs on you, would you have joy? I hope so. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, is with you. Do you believe it? If you're a child of God, you absolutely do have this. Not only does he comfort, but he also guides. Verse number 13, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Jesus, he said, guide into all truth. The Holy Spirit, he's not going to force you into it. He's not going to force you. You've got to be willing. I like Romans 8.14 says, For as, as, um, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Are you? If not, tonight is a night to do some soul searching. To get back on track, if not, to get right with God. Verse 13 says, For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He hears what the Father says. He speaks what he has heard, and he, has show, he, has, he shows us what's to come. And this is not any secret revelation. I'm not going to get into all that, that the Holy Spirit came to you and told you something, some little piece of information he didn't tell everybody else. Um, but really, all this, I believe, has been fulfilled through God's Word, a thing that you and I are holding in our hands right now. We have it right here in front of us. He says he's going to guide us into all truth, and do you know what? We have all truth right now. Knowing that the prophecy came not an old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's what we have here. But do you know what? Some people aren't happy with this right here. They're not happy with just having this. You know what they say? People often say, and I've, I've been accused of this myself, in my own heart, is saying, you know what, if I would just have a sign, you know what, it, maybe, maybe if I would just have, uh, be able to see some of the miracles like these other people saw. Maybe if I was to see, you know, the Red Sea parting. Maybe I was to see the walls of Jericho fall down. Maybe I was to see Jesus turn the water into wine. Oh yeah, that's all I would need. But do you know what? People throughout history would have loved to have this complete book of God's word that you and I have. You know what? They would have traded all those things. I firmly believe they would have traded those things that they would have seen for this right here. Oh my goodness. I wouldn't trade this for anything. I wouldn't trade this for seeing all the miracles because you know what? I've got them all right here and then some. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. A question here is how can you be sure that everything in the Bible is true? You know what? The Holy Spirit is going to confirm in your heart that it is. He says he's going to guide you into all truth, not some truth, all truth. How do you know what someone is saying from the pulpit is the right thing? All you got to do is go to God's word. It's as simple as that. Some of these other uh, religions that are out there, 
I just shake my head sometimes and think, man, if you would just read the book, if you would just read the book, you, would, you are so off track. Unbelievable. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is going to confirm that through the written word of God. And lastly, what the Holy Spirit does, he comforts the believer, he guides the believer, but he also glorifies Jesus Christ. Verse number 14, this is where people sometimes get off track. He, verse 14, he shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. The result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. It's not so the Holy Spirit gets the glory. When we're, the word of God is open and it's preached, it's Jesus Christ getting the glory. When the songs are sung, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit, but he's simply pointing us to Jesus Christ. When the gospel is given, even in just layman terms, Jesus Christ is glorified. In conclusion tonight, are you a child of God? doesn't matter if you're five years old or if you're 94 years old. It doesn't matter. I've lived a lie before. Everyone thought I was saved, but I wasn't. You know what is the Holy Spirit convicting you today of your need of redemption? He's showing you that it's possible through the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And hey, it can be made a reality tonight. And for the believer, hey, are you relying on the comforter tonight? Are you trying to do this thing on your own? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work? He'll comfort you and guide you. Let's pray and we'll be finished. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the uh, ministering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and uh, in the lives of others. We ask that you'd come tonight uh, directing guide. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.